I'm Dr. Lindsay Dow. Yeah, you are. I'm a clinical sexologist, which today means that I dedicate all of my professional life, some of my personal life, to learning about sexuality and sharing that knowledge with others. Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Welcome to the Sexplanations podcast, episode one, where we take the show, Sexplanations, and we turn it into a verbal version. We talk about what happened in previous episodes. We talk about what's happening in sex now. We have an amazing guest host. Set the bar a little lower than amazing. Oh, no. I am a guest host. You are amazing. You're the most requested person. Who, who are you? Here, I'm going to tell you who you are. No, it's a secret. No, I love this. <laughs> Today I'm joined by director, producer, videographer, editor, Nicholas Jenkins, the very first person to put me in front of a camera and say, let's talk about sex. Oh. We're going to revisit the first time in my office by watching that episode on the YouTube show Sexplanations that we launched four years ago. We're going to talk about what we've learned since, share some personal stories, and generally have a silly time getting smarter together. Hopefully so. Yes. That, those are my goals. Good goals. Do you have any you want to add? Uh, I really want to get more of a perspective from you of what that whole beginning journey was like. <laughs> so fun. I don't think we've ever talked about the how we met story. Not really. Oh. No. And I don't. Uh, well, but also just like the day of like being on set that first day. So today we're going to talk about that first episode. Yeah. Like, that's what we're going to talk about. And you can go and watch it, and we're going to talk through some of it. Mm -hmm. But what I, the reason that I really wanted to do this was because I know what I was thinking, what I was feeling, and everything, but I've always wanted to know what Lindsay was thinking and feeling. Um, and now that Lindsay and I are good friends and we hang out all the time, it's funny because we don't really talk about that too much. No. I mean, uh, we still talk about sex, but not necessarily. Yeah, but not about that first episode yeah. and sort of what it was like to work with someone for the first time like that. And, um, I just, I don't know, I'm fascinated to go back and think about that. So that's why I'm here. Any other information that you think our audience should have about you in terms of what you bring to the table? Um, I mean, just a little bit more background on me. I'm a filmmaker and I, uh, I'm a senior producer for Crash Course and do a lot of things with Hank. Um, who like, the F is Hank? Who the F is Hank? Hank is a very thin layer of... Soap that accumulates on your bathtub. Oh, nerd fighters just got so happy. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm the editor for Dear Hank and John podcast. And yeah, I just do, I do different stuff on the internet. And you play the guitar. I do. And you're a dad to a corgi. Scared me for a second there. You call that up. <laughs> and your dad. She's not who I thought I was. Um, yeah, I have a wonderful corgi named Abby who is my best friend. Aw, that's cute. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Random fact about me comes from this friend in high school. He told me that we were playing football outside in this field, and the ball accidentally hit me in the chest, and I shouted, oh, my breast. And one of the teachers shouted my name to kind of scold me for my language, and I reprimanded back that it was indeed my breast that I was using proper anatomical terms. How old were you? Probably 15. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, go me. Yeah, I, I go you. I love hearing that I was sex positive, even in my youth. Well, also a, a different attitude towards authority than I would have had. <laughs> and good for that. Good job. Yeah. Five stars. Yes. Okay, next. Uh, my current curiosity... 
and I would love to know our guest hosts as well, is what kind of sex education the Obama daughters get from their parents? Do you have a current curiosity? I am curious as to what makes people good at things. Aww. I am. Like, I'm having this whole thing where I'm rediscovering my love of playing guitar. And it's amazing to me how how much I've fallen off because I haven't played in a long time. And I'm just wondering, like, what makes people good at something for a really long time. <laughs> they don't have to relearn it every couple of years, but maybe it's maybe it's everything. But so that's my curiosity right now. That's so beautiful. I like it. Endurance. Okay. All right. So Nick, before we talk about our sex positions, our positions intellectually on sex explanations the show and what's going on in the sex world outside of the show, I want to introduce our audience to our first sponsor. Now it's time to hold our testes. This show is brought in part to you by our extraordinary patrons on patreon.com slash podcast. These sexplanauts are like business partners. They help us make quality sex education accessible and improve sexual literacy. I'd like to give a shout out to those pledged at the boss level, Laura Schuster, Donna, and the Millers. For every testes sponsorship that we do, it comes with a test question, a multiple choice sex question, According to state policies on sex education, how many states in the U.S. don't require sex ed to be taught in their public schools? Okay. So out of 50, how many say, oh, you don't have to do that? Yes. So here okay. are the options. Okay. It's multiple a, choice. A. Yeah, a, zero. Mm-hmm. B, nine. C, 17. Or D, 26. I'm going D. You're correct. Yeah. Because we're terrible. Boo. Yeah, we're, we're awful. So... Yeah, that's more than half of our country Yep, does not have required sex education in the public school system. Yep. <laughs> we did an episode, uh, The Sex Maps, mm-hmm. where we broke that down. And it even made you sad because you had to draw out all the maps. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was rough. It was. To, to see which states you don't have to have medically accurate sex education. So yep. we're going to provide you with sex education, but it's going to tell you that condoms – cause sexually transmitted infections. Right. Yeah. I No, I remember that very clearly because it was one of those times where it became very, I became very aware of how much visual, how, how much more affected by visual information I am. And so having it on those maps was just like, oh my God. <laughs> like when you really play it out, we just had a thing uh, for Crash Course about just our overall channel. Like our friends at YouTube gave us a bunch of graph breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And initially I would have said, ah, graphs, I don't want to look at it. Whatever. And then when I saw how the audience was breaking down in graphs and over time and everything, it was like really set in a lot of information about the channel. And it's the same thing with the maps. Like I I started to have a deeper understanding. You start to sort of see problems appear (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. in this. And I don't know how much of that is. uh, What are those? The inkblot tests? Rorschach. Rorschach tests. I don't know how much of that is, you know, my own psychology going into it. But at the same time, it was startling. When I saw it laid out visually. Okay. So more than half of the states in our country do not have to teach public sex education. Right. And that was one of the questions, too, is like, is it better to have no sex ed or bad sex ed? (laughs) I know. I still don't know that answer. Yeah. So here we go. Nicholas Gandalf Jenkins. Sexplanations now has a podcast. This is our first episode, and I've invited you to kick off the show for two reasons. One, because we did Sexplanations together. We know what this is like, the process of getting to know someone and deciding whether or not they're a safe person to talk about sexuality with. 
And two, because you have a damn sexy voice. Ooh. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, when you when you would come on to Sexplanations and sit with me on the couch or when you did the identity episode, people would write in the comments about how they wanted you to do a narration for their lives. I've always wanted to do more voice work. So I started out at my first job was as a DJ, an on-air DJ, not a mm-hmm. mobile DJ, on-air DJ. And I loved it. I like it was a really uh gratifying thing, but it's not a unless you end up like, you know, syndicated around the country, it's not a well-paying job. Mm. So, um so I went off for the things, but I've always wanted to go back to it for some reason. I like, I like talking. I like hearing myself talk. It's great. <laughs> I like hearing you talk. <laughs> so let's do this. Um, we're going to call this segment sex positions because the intent is to go through in chronological order, the sex explanations episodes and kind of critique them. I'm a clinical sexologist, bachelor's in psychology, master's in health and human performance with a concentration in health promotion, and my doctorate in human sexuality. There are three main things that I do as a clinical sexologist. One is to educate others. The other is to create an environment in my community that is sex positive. The third is for me to work on my own sex life. Um, As a clinical sexologist, I think it's really important that I be walking the talk and it's also really important that I'm modeling to other people a healthy sexuality. I want to make sex education accessible to the universe. There are a lot of people out there who need accurate information. I'll give it to you for free. The most common question that I'm asked is, how I chose this field and I think that the field chose me. It begins with me growing up on a boarding school campus in Hudson, Ohio. I was around teenagers all the time. Those hormone-driven learning uh, adolescent puberty blossoming individuals. I don't remember when the first realization was about being a sexologist but my high school classmates report that it was as early as high school it's a fun job you want to know my favorite joke or one of my favorite jokes what kind of pants does mario wear denim 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 montage of the episode what do you think it's actually one of my favorite videos i've ever made for anything that i've done ever here yeah Really? Yeah. Um, it's the most free form. Like we had no script. Right. Really. I, I think maybe we had some bullet points, but generally it was a it was it was legitimately just a chance for us to get to know each other, how we worked, and then get some good footage for a first episode. So I was really out of my comfort zone. Um, because Aww, I'm a I very I am very structured. I don't do doc filmmaking. Um, I do uh, very rigorous narrative stuff, um, and that translates to camera as well. I like to have camera locked down. and uh, So this was very much uh, a lot of freedom and a little bit of nerves to go in and, and try to get to know a person I was going to be working with, mm-hmm. ostensibly, and try to get really nice footage, but do it in a way that you felt comfortable Mm-hmm. with me and in a way that I was happy with what we were getting. So it was really, that was probably one of the more adventurous things I'd ever done 
in terms of video making and filmmaking. And so that was really cool. At the time, it was scary because I didn't know, like, since I'd never done this, I wasn't aware of what I was going to get. And that made me nervous because (laughs) I I like to know generally what I'm going to get. But, uh, no, I had a really good time. And then there, you know, there are things that I catch now that I wouldn't do Mm -hmm. um, if I had to do it all over again. But, like, I'm very proud of that first thing because I felt like we did a good job of capturing you and capturing sort of how I envisioned sexplanations uh, in terms of visual language and using that space uh, that we had, which is your office. And it was – so, yeah, I, I was, I'm very proud of that first episode. Like I, because – mainly because – not because I think it necessarily broke new ground online or, you know, had a million hits or anything like that, but because it allowed me to stretch my legs – and get to know somebody in a new way, which I hadn't done before. So, so yeah, I like I I really like that first episode. Oh, that's so lovely to hear, because I I wonder how it was for you to you know have this new person to work with, and she's talking about sex without any social regulation, and you know showing you around and being silly, and I definitely did not know what I was doing. It was the first time that a lens was in my face for that period of time. And when you showed me the cut, I just remembered like this uh, ear to ear smile of just, wow, how did he do it? How did he, you know, create this Lindsay Doe that could then go out to the public and hopefully the audience that Hank Green was providing us was going to trust her that she could speak about sex in a fun way, in a trustworthy way. Yeah, I think you did a great job. I I do remember from that episode that I had longer hair in the back, like a mullet going on. And you I had, did. And I didn't have time to get it cut because we were just like putting things together so quickly. And so I tried to use uh, bobby pins and pin it up and it didn't work. And so now every time I watch, I'm like, oh, yeah, that there is a younger me who, you know, was just doing the best that she could and having fun. And I'm so glad that you captured the playfulness of that. And that got to be the brand of Sexplanations, that it's not this uptight clinical model, but it's really joyous and free and, you know. Well, and that was the other thing was, you know me really well now. And you, I'm not a playful person. Like I am very like, I, I don't like to be silly. I, I, it's and so that was a real interesting thing for me to do as well. Was being a part of a channel that was dealing with serious things that was also not taking itself too seriously. It was being playful and being and being fun. And so that so I got to especially for that. I don't know how long we were in the office for that episode. Probably 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to just be playful and it was fun. And and that was not something that I was used to doing. And there was, um, you know, it had its own pressures. Like there was the pressure of like, I want to start this new show and I want to make sure Lindsay looks good and, you know, everything is, is going to work. But there was also less pressure in a lot of respects, like working on Crash Course, there is, there are a lot of different pressures sort of coming at me in, in a lot of different directions. And in this one, it was very straightforward that it's mm. just like, yeah, I want to try to create this new thing and see if it works. So the, the pressure was more, is this going to work? And I had already dealt with that with SciShow and Crash Course. So I was used to sort of dealing with that pressure of like, well, okay, hopefully this is going to be successful. 
but I'm going to go in and just do the best I can and had a really good time. So what I'd like to know is, and this is really important to me, what did you feel like when we were in there? And I did, I had a camera on you and we were talking and then you were talking about sex with this, you know, with this pretty much stranger in the room. Um, bearded man. I wasn't bearded at the time. <laughs> That's true. I might have had a goatee. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember now, but... We'd have to watch the the Hanks Channel oh, video we yeah, did at yeah. uh, Makeout Point. <laughs> we should put some words around that. So, <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So on June 9th, we were the night before launching the show. We went up to what's called Makeout Point in Missoula, a mountaintop that overlooks the Lake of Lights or our city. And we celebrated with Hank. That was Nick, Hank, and I. And Abby. And Abby. And um, for those of you who don't know, yeah, June 9th, six, mm-hmm. nine. And then the following day, June 10th, we launched episode one. And to answer your question about what that felt like, mm-hmm. I think I have to go into almost every situation feeling confident about my ability to talk about sexuality with a person and just trust that they can handle it. And if they can't, then I pull back. But it's not often that I will go in slowly I think I like to have people meet me where I am, and then once I know where they are, go toward them, if that makes sense. Uh, I think it makes sense to me, but I think you could unpack that a little bit. Okay. So you and I had met about a month before then when we were gearing so. up to do the show. Yeah. And you you were very clearly an incredibly professional person. There was no intimidation present on you like oh this person she has her doctorate or she's going to talk about sex or she's a woman or what you know any of those things that could, woman. <laughs> that, I, that could be put on me <laughs> you were so professional and you came to the office and you were ready to go and you guided me right you understood that I didn't know what I was doing that I'm the new person on set and really simultaneously gave me encouragement to be free in what I wanted to do and how I wanted to express it, at the same time guiding me in that process and saying, okay, this is what your intent is. Here was the impact on it. And how can we get it so that your intent matches the impact so that the audience understands you for what you're trying to say? And you did that repeatedly from episode one, minute one, all the way through in those two years that we got to work together. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I never, ever, ever felt like this person is a threat to me. He doesn't care about what we're doing, that he is a hypocrite, right? And and he's helping me create this really honest information about sexuality. But in his personal life, he's being a jerk. Like at all moments, I recognized Nick has integrity. Nick has this channel's best interest in mind. And he is going to help me be the best host for it I can. Hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I guess one of the things that has always occurred to me when doing something like that, especially because we're going in to talk about sex, was I wanted to make sure that at no point did you ever feel in any kind of way threatened. I didn't. Good. Because, I mean, that that is a big deal to me. Like, I wanted to make sure you felt free and safe because, you know, a person you don't know very well, regardless of gender, mm-hmm. uh, the person you don't know very well going into your personal space, mm-hmm. your office. And then, you know, it is, that could get a little, you know, I'm not saying it could devolve into anything, but it could it could make you feel, you know, wary. 
Yeah. And so it was my biggest thing is like, always make sure Lindsay feels comfortable. Aw. So. Well, it would have totally changed the dynamic had there been any fear that you weren't going to take my voice and communicate it correctly or if you – you know, had some judgment toward me that could come across in the way that you edited. I don't think that the content we created, what we what we made together would have been what it is. I think that's fair. But yeah, I love that episode. Um, there are a lot of other ones, I think, as, we, as you go through this, that I really like the, the topic mm-hmm. of whatever we're doing. But that's the one that I sort of hold in a special place because it allowed me to do a lot of experimentation, which at the time was super important to me because uh, Hank was giving me an opportunity to experiment. And uh, Michael Aranda had started the Brain Scoop and it was sort of the attitude of like, I want to do something like that. Um, And the idea of a a channel about sex, that's great. I'm into sex education and I, you know, I I want people to be more educated about not just sex, but everything, but, you know, sex, Mm. I feel like is really important. And the idea that you were also an educator um, who had worked in the same university that I had worked in. And so we had some commonalities there. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of things we talked about. Um, It was, so it was a great... It was sort of the best case scenario for risk because I could experiment. I felt empowered to experiment, especially in that first episode to see, well, that worked, that didn't work, this, you know, let's move this around. And we definitely overshot. There was a lot we didn't use. But yeah, I I just, I really loved being there. And it was one of those things. I just always wanted to know, like, were you having a good time? Were you stressed? Were you, I mean. Oh, I'm sure there was some stress. Sure. Just doing new behavior like this podcast. I don't know how to do a podcast. I've never done one. There's there's some stress to it. But (laughs) I get to have fun making it because the people around me are very supportive and letting me figure that out and then cutting it together in ways that are graceful and the fear of what it's going to be is so much smaller because I have models for how it's been done. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the only sex channels I had watched, I think Lacey's and then maybe one other, I'm not really sure. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do remember those were very much vloggy style Mm -hmm. and they weren't a show Mm -hmm. necessarily. Not meaning that to cut down what Lacey was doing. It's just, they were different, different types of, of things. So I felt like I was doing something kind of new and that was exciting. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. And you know, if you had to do it over again, if you had to start from scratch, Mm -hmm. you know, some mystical thing happens and, you know, tabula rasa, nobody remembers anything. What would you do differently? Or would you do anything differently for that first episode? I would have gotten a haircut. I can see that. <laughs> I would have gotten a haircut. I, I'm i glad, actually, that I didn't understand the world of writing scripts at that time because mm-hmm. I do like how freeform it was. Mm, no. My big lesson from that and the next two episodes mm-hmm. was take more time for sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that first episode, though, um, I think we did a good job of masking it, but we – you were wearing a lot of jewelry, which is strange because you don't normally wear a lot of jewelry. Right. <laughs> I think the mic was on It was actually, we had nowhere to clip it where your necklace wouldn't collide with it. Uh-huh. And then you said, well, why don't I just clip it to the necklace right here? And I was like, fine. 
And you weren't like, why don't you just take the necklace yeah. off? Because <laughs> um, I didn't know you at the time. I thought, well, maybe this is a big part of who she is. Jewelry. Um, and the issue is, of course, the, the, the other thing is, for those of you techie people, we were shooting on a Canon 7D, my personal Canon, um, which you couldn't monitor sound. All you could do was sort of look at the levels and go, looks right. So I didn't know that it was picking up the jangle mm. of the necklace a little bit. You know, I'm not inherently a sound guy. so <laughs> I think it's beautiful and wonderful. And on the topic of the necklace, there were, I think, four charms on it that I had just strung together that day. One from my childhood best friend, one from my brother, I think one from each parent. And so... You know, there's a sweetness to that jingle that interrupted your sound perfection. <laughs> like I had my people with me. You know? I, you know, that would be the only thing that I would change, though. I mean, oh. and even at that, I wasn't really upset Good. by it. I was just sort of like, eh, that's something I shouldn't do. And now I know. <laughs> and if I, if I had been monitoring sound, I immediately would have gone, oh, no, no, we can't do that. <laughs> but uh, wasn't wasn't monitoring sound, so... And I want it to be very clear that it was incapable of monitoring sound. There's no <laughs> headphone jack coming out of a Canon 7D. Doing the best I could. You did so. a great job, Nick. Thank you. You also did a great job. It was a, it was a wonderful episode that I'm still proud of to this day. Good. So we're going to do another message from a second sponsor. Hit me. This is a segment called Main Squeeze. Main Squeeze. Uh, uh, uh. As a group. We're all going to do kegels together, which are exercises that strengthen the pubic coccygeus muscles. Girl, I know what kegels are. I'm telling our audience, oh, man. Okay. They, you know, we want them to know that they're doing the right thing. You're not going to pee, but you're going to squeeze your muscles that would stop you from urinating if you were, and then release and squeeze and release and squeeze. And we're going to do this by the sound of the moan. So I'm going to read through our sponsorship plug, and every time you hear a moan... Uh. You're going to squeeze and release. Okay? Got it. All right. AdamandEve.com is an online superstore for adult shoppers <sighs> that sells dildos, oh. butt plugs, oh. vibrators, uh. lube, uh. condoms, uh. and sex swings. Uh. Oh. All at affordable prices. Uh. Now just clench your PCs and hold without releasing while I tell you their awesome deal for you. At adamandeve.com, you can use the discount code DOE to get 50% off an eligible item plus free shipping anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Okay, release. Now a few more. Clench. Hold. Release. Clench. Hold. Release. Clench. Hold. Release. How's your pelvis? I have to pee. <laughs> Not yet, Nick. Okay. I want to hear some of your personal anecdotes around the topic of meeting someone new and talking to them about sex. I think it's a really weird thing for me because I don't have much of a filter. <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of functioning in an office and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, like dangerous for, <laughs> for, a, for an HR department, but I'm pretty good at judging the room, so mm -hmm. to speak, and judging the person I'm talking to. And once I've gotten to know that person, I'm fine communicating with them about anything. 
Like, I don't really have any things that I will not talk about, you know. So um, in some respects, getting to sit down and chat with somebody very openly about sex, about controversies, and being able to learn. Like, this is one of the things. If I can't can't talk about it with people, how am I supposed to learn about things? How am I supposed to learn if I'm saying or doing something wrong? How am I supposed to learn if an understanding of some aspect of sex or sexuality has changed if I haven't been able to talk with anybody, if we're not able to publicly talk about it? So just having that opportunity was like, it's great. Yeah. Like I enjoy it. And that's what Sexplanations was to me, was the idea of we're publicly going to be talking about this. So I, so everyone can then have the opportunity to say, I didn't know that. Now I can analyze my own beliefs or my own understandings of the world or sex or just interpersonal relationships. Right. So, so for me, it was, there was never really a... Even in childhood or... No, I'm just talking about when, really with you, but like if we talk about in childhood, like childhood friends, you sort of read who your friends are and how, what they like to talk about. My best friend in high school is a very religious person and his father was a, uh, an actual pastor at their church and they actually lived on the church grounds. Mm. And it is still to this day, the nicest family in the world. And they knew that I was an atheist. They never once talked to me about or trying to recruit me or anything like that. Um, but I also had respect for them and did not talk about things that I knew would upset them. Mm-hmm. And if I ever did, which I don't think I did, but if I ever did, I would have immediately apologized because, right. you know, they, they understood my boundaries and I understood their boundaries. Um, and I feel like I just take that to Everyone I know, you know, sitting down and playing board games is a different social environment than sitting around the table for a meeting and, you know, and sitting down and making a video with you is different than sitting around and making a video with Hank. It's just all, it's just all different. And everybody has different boundaries and everybody has uh, different things that they're okay talking about. And learning about what those boundaries are, you know, in subtle ways is it's kind of fun. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I don't know, it's one of the few things I really love about people is being able to figure out how they're different. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And what they want. And, I, you know, that I say that and I'm sure some people might think, you know, that applies to everything. And I think, no, there are times when you have to look at somebody and go, you need to stop what you're doing because this is harmful or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about in very relaxed conversation, what can you talk about with people? And so, yeah, I've just always done that. I've always I've always enjoyed doing that. Like on a one-on-one basis, I get really flustered if you put me into a large group of people. I, I find rooms like that very hard to read and I just end up sort of backing into a corner and look at all the people having fun. And that's sort of my thing. I mean, how have you dealt with that? Learning to communicate with people in different situations about sex. Yeah. Like, I mean, did you struggle with it when you were younger? I don't think so. I think that with my parents who were very open about the diversity of human nature in all forms and very accepting of education and seeking knowledge, um, I was raised in a home that was very permissive. That being said, there was also... A religious background to that home and I grew up thinking that I was going to wait until marriage and it actually wasn't until I was probably 
having sex where I was like, I guess I'm not waiting <laughs> because this feels so good and so right. And I can't imagine a system that would tell me that this is wrong. Um, or, you know, I know exactly what that system is, but it's not aligned with what I believe now. Sure. And so I think, yeah, from the beginning, I was able to talk about sexuality. I can remember having conversations with my dad about masturbation. And I was telling him, you know, the, the guys at school, this was in high school, they're talking about masturbation. And he just talked openly about how, yeah, that's okay. And you can masturbate too. And that's very healthy, natural, normal. And, um, you know, my best friend growing up, she was the daughter of, or is the daughter of a urologist. And so there was a lot of sexual knowledge there that I could get from her or her parents. And the conversations were pretty easy, I would say, until I started seeking education formally in sexuality. Then there there were some trouble areas in college, especially where people would say, oh, like, you're a sexologist. Does that mean you want to have sex with me? <laughs> and it took me some work, especially in Missoula, Montana, where we are, this small town, to create for people an understanding of what sexology means and a reputation for that that wasn't about having sex with everyone who wanted it. It was more about studying it like you would any other discipline and sharing that information with others. Right. So as I made more of a space for myself here, I feel like people could look at the career I had chosen accurately and say, oh, yeah. That's Lindsay Doe. She's a sexologist, or that's my, you know, professor in human sexuality. And there was no attachment to certain sexual shaming or taboo. Sure. No, that's great. I, yeah, I don't have anything else to add there. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you talked about sex? I don't know. I don't have a crystal clear memory of like an on-off switch. <laughs> so That's okay. I don't remember. I, you know, I had a, a fairly open childhood in terms of the media that I consumed. Mm -hmm. So, like, I watched growing up. I watched rated R movies, and like, it was never there were there was never a feeling as though there was media for kids and media for adults <laughs> in in my place. There was once you got into things like pornography, and I do remember the first time seeing a porno magazine was I was living in an apartment complex and somebody had thrown a bunch of them out in the alley behind the um, behind the complex and all of the kids in the complex gathered together to look at this artifact. How old a, were you? Ooh, say maybe seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was, you know, it was definitely like, oh, that's a thing. But I had seen naked bodies mm -hmm. in movies and things like that. So it wasn't something that I was really shielded from, but I think I was, I think I kind of had been shielded from it as like, it, th this is the sole purpose of that piece of media yeah. um, is just for eroticism. Like, so that was, I would say that might be the first time I remember seeing something and thinking this is specifically for one thing. Oh, you know? interesting. And so say that was probably it. And then uh, in the late eighties, my father and brother owned a video store and we had a, you know, a porno section that was cordoned off. And so every once in a while I'd work there and I would check out the, the tape. So I was always, you know, little shop of horrors, you know, oh. things like that. Um, but yeah, I was never like, and my mother used to get very angry when we watched something on television and they would cut out 
something that had nudity in it or something, she would get really mad. Not because she wanted to see the nudity, but because she felt like if you're going to show the movie, show the movie. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> Authenticity. Yeah. She's like, um, so like Conan the Barbarian was one of the first ones I remember. And there was a lot of nudity in that first film. And, you know, it was very matter of fact, my mother specifically was very good about not shaming people, um, you know, for, for sex and enjoyment of sex shouldn't be shameful. That was something that I, that she specifically raised me to believe. Yeah, it um, rubbed off on you. I like that. Good. Thanks, Nick's mom. <laughs> Her name is Gloria. Thanks, Gloria. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just that sex should never be a shameful thing. It was probably the closest I ever got to having a discussion about sex, um, even though we've talked about some of the crap sex education that I've had. Mm-hmm. I actually did have a fairly decent I, th- I want to say in seventh or eighth grade, we had a bio class where we actually had a, f- a you know, just a very generic breakdown of sexual reproduction mm-hmm. that is still pretty accurate to this day. So I, I feel like that was where I probably had the first real solid understanding, maybe. I'm not sure. Did you learn about the clitoris? No. Where did I learn about the clitoris? I really hope it's not from me. No. <laughs> No, God, no. Um, Good. Well done, whoever taught Nick about the clitoris. I mean, I would say probably – here's the thing. I I learned a lot about the world through movies and television. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's fairly common with people in my age range. Oh, yeah. Um, But even now, 75% of people are getting their sex education from the internet. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, I – so in 97, I was 20, and that's about when I got the internet at home. Mm-hmm. So prior to the internet, it, I most of my sex ed came from little bits and pieces at school, and then just like movies would joke about something. And then, you know, you and your friends would talk about weird shit that you talked about um, <laughs> at the time. And, you know, looking back on it now, nobody knew what they were talking about, even though there were those people that you thought knew what they were talking about. They didn't. They had no Aww. freaking clue what they were talking about. Um, so, I mean, I know that there were things, there were movies that talked or joked about the clit there were, you know, so, um, but I, I don't know where I first learned about it. Me neither. Yeah. (laughs) For me or for you? For, for me, I don't remember learning about the clit. I have no recollection of. Well, you have one, so. I do, but. It's very hidden and tucked away, and yeah. like unless you're down there really looking for something, I would not have found it. <laughs> and for me, I find it or encourage others to by touch, by mm-hmm. the sensation of it, not necessarily by the sight of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that may, I mean, that makes total sense. I do know that I went to a conference and – that is when I first learned about the internal structures of a clitoris and how it is much more than just the tip. I didn't learn about the internal structure of a clit until you. Sex explanations. Yeah. Like that was amazing when you showed me the diagram. Aww. I was like, whoa. Yeah, right? Yeah. So that was, there was, I learned a lot on sex explanations. It was great. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're not learning. Then why? Well, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so anything else we want to talk about before we close? Uh, What's your favorite joke? Oh, my favorite joke? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. You go first. Um, you already know my favorite joke. Is it still your favorite joke? Well, it's what I would say is my favorite I don't, joke. I don't like 
jokes. Okay, what do you like? Well, like I like a good comedian who spins a story. Mm, and then yeah. it may it, so like a joke, you know, is set up payoff, right? Like yep. set up, set up, payoff. Yep. So I like I if you want, let's okay. Here's my current recommendation. Okay. For people, it's a little dark, but one of the greatest working comedians is Norm Macdonald, and he has a special on Netflix now. I think it's called Hitler's Dog and Other Nonsense or something like that. And his observational humor is exactly what I love in the world. <laughs> and okay. so, uh, yeah, if you check it out, uh, it's it's called Hitler's Dog and something else. I can't remember what the something else is, but um, he just goes, he, he gets to this point about dogs where he's like, you know, your dog thinks you're the greatest person in the world. Hitler had a dog. Aww. That dog thought he was the greatest person in the world. He's like, hey, when's Hitler coming home? You know? Aww. And it's just sort of putting it into perspective that there are <laughs> different perspectives on everything. But that particular routine is is really great. And I remember first seeing Norm MacDonald. He was on uh, A Night at the Improv, which was an old show on cable television, I think on A&E, um, back in the 80s, that I was immediately taken with this guy. He just had this great dry wit um, and yet sort of made you question expectations because he would take things in a different direction. And his talk about the dating game and sex is also really, really fun and funny. Mm. Little dark at times. Little dark. <laughs> I just watched Sarah Silverman's. I keep hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, she has a whole bit on um, Roe v. Wade and uh, yeah, it's good. Well, it's she good. just did a new thing about uh, if it's good for the goose, it's good for, is it good for the goose, it's good for the gander thing about male masturbation oh. in terms of uh, regulating abortion. Well, then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So she's saying that because sperm have olfactory senses, they have a sense of smell because they can detect where the egg is and then direct themselves, mm -hmm. that that is a form of life. And therefore, we should regulate masturbation and coitus interruptus, et cetera. Any, any ejaculate of sperm that does not go on should be punishable in the same ways as women are being regulated with their abortions. And she right. talks about putting this tiny little tube up the urethra of the penis and down <laughs> into the testicles so that you have to look at your sperm, those living beings, and really think about what you're doing before you masturbate. It's wise. You, you, can't, you can't fault the logic, you know? No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's – so I don't really – like, I don't like jokes – but I love comedians. Me too. I am like a, I, I'm a comedian connoisseur. And Norm MacDonald, I thought he'd retired from stand-up for a long time because he went on Saturday Night Live. He did a few uh, movies and then he came back to it and he just did this new special and it just made my heart so happy to see him there. I will warn you, it is dark though. Like he has some, he has some very lighthearted stuff, but he also has some dark stuff that is, whew, but it's also, I find very, very amusing. Well, next week we talk about Sex Shields with local comic. John Howard. John Howard. Was once a student of mine. And mine. Yes. <laughs> and is a really good comedian. Yes, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, lovely human being, too. Now you know, John. This is what we think about you. <laughs> well, All right, Lindsay, take us out. Yeah, thank you, Nick, for sharing this time with me. We're not sitting on the red couches, but it's really sweet that you're here and sharing your sexy voice and wisdom and history of the channel with our listeners. 
I had a great time. Sex explanations will always be something that I love. And for those of you wondering, Lindsay and I still hang out pretty much weekly almost. So, yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's lovely. I've made a lifelong friend out of that. Um, if if everything else goes to shit, <laughs> we've got each other. We've got Nick. each other uh, at the end of the day. So yeah, I, I thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, the tagline can be stay curious, but I also like Encora Imparo, which means I'm still learning. Encora Imparo. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We've got a few announcements for you. One, Sexplanations, the YouTube channel just turned four years old. Please check out Sexplanations at YouTube.com. Also, we have new merchandise on our DFTBA website. If you want to see some of our cool new products, our t-shirts, black t-shirts with rainbow handwriting and red t-shirts with black handwriting, both stay stay curious. Um, that shirt looks awesome, by the way. Thank you. It I looks, love it. So it looks much. really good. Mm. So, yes. Um, also, you can follow us on social media. We have Facebook explanations, Tumblr, Tumbling Doe, and Twitter is LTD, all spelled out: E L L T E E D E E. You can go to patreoncom podcast to support the show and adamandeve.com to get 50% off sex toys. I want to thank Cinema Studios for all the sound editing of our show, Complexly for Production, and our co-host for this episode, Nicholas Jenkins. You can find him on social media and uh, Sexplanations YouTube channel. Here's your homework. Get a journal where you can follow along each week with new sexual health assignments and write down what, if anything new, you learned on this episode of Sexplanations Podcast. We now have a weekly Sexplanations Podcast. Please check back in next week. Encore Amparo. Encore Amparo. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, Nick.